Welcome back, dear listener. Open up your ear holes and let us slither inside like two parasitic worms to feed off you and in turn nourish you with our inane horror babble. If we don't make you scream and squirm, then you better see a psychiatrist. I'm Ed. I smell bad and I'm repulsive. And he's hungry. He's hungry for love. It's my amano in law and horror, Matt. Make love to me. <laughs> That's all I have. Uh, Cheers, dude. That's good. good to be back. I chose for my film a lovely David Cronenberg classic. His uh, feature film debut, Shivers, from uh, 1975. I think Matt has a question he'd like to ask me. Yeah, it's the normal question that um, comes up at the beginning of these podcasts, which is, why are we talking about this film? Except I would like to bold it, underline it, and go back in. Why are we talking about this film? Well, often when we're picking the films to look at, we kind of go with films that are personal favourites, or there are titles that we think haven't got the attention they deserve or the credit that they deserve, you know, thinking about things like Pontypool or Bone Tomahawk or to even go further back to The Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, which Nick and I looked at. I chose Shivers for a very different reason. Good. Go on. I think, so David Cronenberg is widely considered a great director. Yeah, still with you. And when you said to me we're going to do Cronenberg, oh yes, I'm all right with this. Oh yeah. So the two things I say you'd think with Cronenberg are one, great director, two, body horror. Mm. And I went with Shivers because I think it's really interesting to look at a film that is by someone who's considered a great director, a kind of genre-defining director, but this is not a fantastic film. This is a film that is a work in progress. And by that I mean he, as a filmmaker, is a work in progress when he was making this. I think that's interesting because when we judge filmmakers, quite often we do it off the bat of their first film. And if they don't create something that lasts for all time, they're kind of cast aside. And it's interesting to me that David Cronenberg went on to create some amazing films. And I think the root of that is there in Shivers, but he hasn't fully realised it. Okay, so hands up. I had not seen Shivers uh, before this, and uh, I haven't seen Rabbit. I still haven't seen Rabbit after this. Because when you say Cronenberg, I thought, we're going to talk Videodrome. Brilliant. This will be interesting. Maybe we'll talk about The Fly. But to be honest, the most the stuff I'm more familiar with is actually his more recent work, like um, History of Violence, Eastern Promises, uh, Cosmopolis, which I really liked, despite the shit it got. Um, History of Violence, I'm with you, as being a great film. Really, really great. But uh... Yeah, so I thought we were going to go on, on, on that kind of line. So when you said Shivers, that's, that's like the experience I had of David Cronenberg. I was like, okay, fine. Well, I like this stuff, so let's go. I like body horror. Let, let's see what this is. This is going to do. Um, yeah, I can see from watching this the link he goes through because he does not just body horror. He likes to talk about sex, doesn't he? Yes. Um, I think to maybe pour some glitter upon this thing would be to say that I kind of feel that. And bear with me on this. I kind of feel what he is looking at, or One of the things that he's interested in, which you can see in other films of his, is this kind of Cartesian dualism of mind and body and how they are separate but connected things and how that plays out in society where you have the the middle-class sheen of everything is all right in suburbia and then underneath you've got all these animalistic urges which come up and devour society. Yeah, almost the uh, what's going on behind closed doors and um, communities, little secrets kind of thing. Yeah, and how that then just ends up, that community devours itself. So, Twin Peaks then? Yeah, why not? (laughs) Twin Peaks with venereal disease parasites. Yeah, the VD Twin Peaks. (laughs) Yeah. Should we actually say what it's about? Do you want to do your your delicate... uh... Synopsis, as you like to think. Yeah, well, you know, Shivers is that age-old story. Paedophile doctor creates parasite to be used as an alternative to organ transplant. Parasite then infects a remote middle-class tower block, a little bit like J.G. Ballard's High Rise, and spreads around as an intelligent venereal disease. Hey, how about that pickle? <laughs> there are lots I liked in that. 
Uh, I just had sex zombies. Um, did you watch the trailer? I did, yeah. If you think you're not afraid of the dark, if you think you have a strong stomach, if you feel nothing can shock you, if you say you don't scare easily, if you believe you've seen everything, then prepare yourself for a motion picture that takes you beyond fear, beyond your wildest nightmares, and brings you face to face with terror, beyond the power of priest or science to exercise. What are they? Raging demons from another world? Bloodthirsty creatures that must be killed? Or incarnations of absolute evil? They possess men, women, and children, and drive them to acts of unbelievable horror. No one is safe from them. No power on earth can stop them. The only escape is death. If this picture doesn't make you scream and squirm, you'd better see a psychiatrist. Quick. Did, very, you, did you love it? It is one of those kind of so 70s horror trailers that it's just, it's not really connected to the film, but... No, no, it's, it's not. It tells you pretty much nothing about the film. Uh, but it gives and, you some images from it. I thought it was a really good trailer. I, I really enjoyed it. Oh, I really it. enjoyed it. You know, if this picture doesn't make you scream and squirm, <laughs> you better see a psychiatrist. Loved it. Oh, and you're not going to finish it off. It, that, oh, you've, you've just played Bohemian Rhapsody without the last note. I mean, I only wrote You down better that see bit. a psychiatrist. Quick. <laughs> <laughs> Completely <laughs> unnecessary. But there's a dramatic pause before they do that. Uh, it, it made it for me. It gave me all the chuckles. 70s did good uh, horror. Trips. We're going to talk about... Uh, the cast shortly, I'm sure, but uh, I did quite like in the trailer a nice little nod when um, it goes, uh, the incarnation of absolute evil, and then Barbara Steele appears there. Oh, yeah. Which is like, you know, if you're going to do a Black Sunday nod, that's a really, really perfect way to do that. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Oh, which, which is our little segue to talk about who's in it. Yeah, so Barbara Steele's in it. Not headlining, though. She's not. You've got Paul Hampton... As the uh, as the dashing doctor who runs around trying to sort stuff out, Doctor Saint Luke, Doctor Saint Luke, indeed, and uh, Lynn Lowry as uh, the nurse, as Forsyth, yeah, who also features in Crazies by George A. Romero. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that was quite a nice. I mean, she uh, she is good horror casting. Oh yeah, yeah. She's really good. Um, Alan Coleman. <laughs> plays Mick Tudor. Yeah. This, uh, the husband of Janine uh, Tudor. Of, uh, Susan Petrie. Susan Petrie's Janine Tudor. He's qu- he is very good in in terms of haunting portrayal. <sighs> Make love to me, Janine. You're my wife. Because I'm also going to point out that Barbara Steele, for me, when you've got someone of like that quality, to use her that sparingly and to give her lines like, Make love to me, Janine. Make love to me. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that was interesting. I think of her as um, from Piranha, but I'm I'm guessing you're a fan of Castlevania. Yeah, not. I mean, Black Sunday's where I go for her, like the iconic, like yeah, yeah. yeah but she's uh, does the voiceovers now, and um, most recent yeah. is the most recent season of Castlevania. I just wish she'd had a bigger role in this. I know you shouldn't try and tailor a script around the cast. It would be. It would have been very interesting. I think. If she'd been given more... I think this is true of a lot of the characters in this. If there'd been yeah. a bit more depth to them, then I think we'd be talking about a, a different slash better film. Yeah. You're right, because we, yeah. we've talked about a few of the actors, but we could have kept on going. Like, when we, we kind of mm. went straight past Rolo Linsky, yeah, which is uh, Joe Silver, who's quite a big role in this, but there are loads of other smaller roles mm. throughout this. It's a large cast. Um, yeah, it's a large cast, and the characters, the characters are almost really well rounded, but they're just not. 
well-rounded. Yeah, well... Uh... But what I, what I mean by well-rounded, maybe not well-rounded, maybe more, they're interesting, but they're interesting sketches rather than fleshed-out characters. They're thin. <laughs> very they're very thin. thin. But I think there is a lot of interest... I think there are interesting bits to each of them, but none of those interesting things are given enough time or space. Yeah. You know, I wrote that piece about the underwater yeah. takes, which uh, you can read at... www.hermanosofhorror.com Smoothly done. And how the, the consensus on that seemed to be that the characters were all thinly written. Oh, really? Thinly written? This is thinly written. Like, yeah, this is. This is definition thinly written. And as much as that sounds like I'm having a go, I actually don't think that really matters massively in the context of this. No, it's this this is definitely a film that is more about the it's more about the the themes and the concept than it is about character. And yeah. I'm not saying that the themes and the concept are delivered as they should be, but that is definitely what's you know, driving it. Oh, I, I hope you can expand on that when we talk about what we noted in. Just before we jump onto that. A little bit of trivia that I'm sure you've, you've probably already know about, but I saw in my reading on this that almost I wish I'd seen more than uh, the film, which was um, that the actress Susan Petrie, like, she couldn't cry. Yeah. So David Cronenberg used onions to produce the tears. Um, Ran out of them onions. <laughs> yeah. But the camera's out of focus when the scene's shot, so... Uh, so Petri basically agrees to to let Cronenberg slap her because obviously, like, that you know, I know what you think of method acting as well. So I imagine that's a horrible thought, crying thought. But it, it, this has at least been, you know, discussed and agreed upon. But he slaps her until her face goes numb. But Barbara Steele is the other actress, and she's not told that this is going on. She's not told that yeah. it's been agreed upon, and mm-hmm. she's just there watching. They were crying about thinking he, he's oh she doesn't her. just watch yeah because then after the take she confronts him and basically from what I've read and this is only from what you read so you know mm. this is why I was like oh it would have been interesting to actually see this and apparently lifts him off the ground by his collar uh, kind yeah. of shouting at him and threatening him until they kind of said um no this is what really went on <laughs> and then. Yeah. Again, if, if you believe what you read, they then apparently had a good laugh about it afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm all for kind of protecting your your fellow cast members, so uh, good on Barbara Steele for... Yeah, true. And I can think of little that I would find more intimidating than an actress of Barbara Steele's quality and, you know, uh, almost magnetic look, lifting you off the ground by your collar. Oh, yeah, that must be, be terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, completely. So, yeah, a little bit of anecdotal uh, trivia that I read about this film. Yeah. That I thought, huh, nice. I like that. Yeah. So, sorry, I've completely distracted from uh, the things that we noted when we watched it, and uh, I imagine you've got a lot to say about this. Well, I think the first thing off the bat really is <laughs> from the, the notes, uh, your first one being subtlety. Or lack thereof. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this isn't a subtle film. I think there's an attempt at subtlety in the visuals. It just it isn't delivered upon. Because uh, one of the interesting things that I found about this film is um, Roger Ebert talked about how what he found impressive about this film is that it played more onto the threat of the parasite rather than lots of lingering shots of them. Yeah. And going back to that thing that we've already talked about, the many, many shots of people walking down corridors, <laughs> yeah. where it's attempting to kind of juxtapose um, norm, you know, suburban normality and then the bizarreness of what is actually happening under the surface. Which, drawing it back, I think is Cronenberg trying to deal with stuff that he will deal with much better in later films, which is this interest in Cartesian dualism. The mm. mind and body linked as a... linked but separate. And the, the link that René Descartes said was found in the pineal gland in the brain. See, you, you've um, gone really quite deep on this in a way that I wasn't yeah. expecting. I'm enjoying this. But I think the thing is, Cronenberg is, you know, it's been noted that he is interested in that kind of branch of 
philosophy, um, you know, the, the philosophy of the mind. And that's what I think he's kind of going for with stuff like this. Mm. But he really, really does not get it with any kind of subtlety or effectiveness. Yeah. And there, there are two points I'll bring up from that. One of them being the the focus on the creatures. And I'm not so sure that isn't to do with the budget and the look of oh, them. Because, yeah. again, the, the, uh, an interview I'm watching with him, and he's talking about how the whole concept of Shiraz came from either he thinks it was a dream, either his or someone else's, but where the, the, they were lying looking opposite this woman in bed and she opens her mouth and the spider comes out. Mm. But he couldn't get spiders, he couldn't get the budget to do spiders effectively, so they came up with um, came up with these instead. So it, it may well have turned out that way, it may have been intentional, but it could have been budget as well. The way this yeah, comes across. definitely. A huge amount of this will be down to budget. Um, you know, anyone who's who's making a film without a, a lot of money behind them, you do have to think of creative ways to get around stuff. But I don't think it just comes down to budget. I think you could have these little... He could have lingered more on these parasites, even with a kind of limited budget, but he hasn't. Yeah. And I think that shows an intelligence to filmmaking. <laughs> it does. Whereas... But if there's you know, that intelligence in filmmaking, that then leads to the other part of what I was going to, to to dwell on here. Do you need to get across sexuality and sex zombies by having it quite as rapey? Probably not. In, I know I've gone a lot of like, oh, oh, make love to me. But quite frankly, the bit oh, where it happens a few times. the husband um, is is saying to the wife, oh, make love to me, it is very rapey. It's yeah. Oh, you're my wife, so I must have you. It's like, oh, come on. And I think. It's, again, I think it's just this this lack of, at this point, he doesn't have the experience to handle this stuff in a subtle way. So it's, you know, there, there are themes of, I think there are themes that he's getting at with, particularly with the married couple. He's kind of getting at this idea that on the surface, you have this suburban middle class couple that are married and it's all very normal. Yeah, and then you can have this going on, as you say, behind closed doors. Yes, it's brought out by a little STD parasite, but yeah. what he doesn't have yet is the ability to handle that in a subtle way. So it becomes this kind of hammer to the face. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're not wrong there. That's why I go with the whole intelligence thing because it's not even like a gentle lack of subtlety or a kind of like oh that was a bit blunt it's the dr hobbs yep uh, i put it in the plan just for you to to get a feel for for the things that are stuck with me i didn't know you with his packet of crisps and his cheeky smile dr hobbs is a pedophile and he is yeah, and it's not just him though, is it? It's it's the the husband no. Nicholas Tudor who's also going up there to yeah. to indulge in. And so I you've got this network of paedophilia going on in this tower as well. I I think it's very very interesting for a couple of reasons. One is I think it's very again feeding back to that kind of on the surface middle class respectability, and actually underneath is this really horrific. You know, it's a paedophile ring. Yeah. going on in this tower block. That is definitely However, one of the most subversive bits. What I find really odd about it, and I think very telling about it, is that it's very much breezed over. Yeah. The two, you know, Dr. St. Luke and um, his friend with the pickle, um, <laughs> they kind of laugh it off. Yeah, completely. Like, and uh. it's, you know... So if that's and meant to be the shocking this... thing, it's even more shocking to me when the characters are just like, huh. But I think this is what it is. So I, I think I've mentioned before that Robert Zemeckis has talked about films as historical documents because they can tell you something about attitudes from the time when it was made. And I think this is hugely telling about like nineteen mid-1970s. This wasn't what made it controversial yeah. at the time. Whereas actually but I kind of feel this today, should be the trigger warning for this. Like the... yeah. You know what, if you're going to watch this and you're sensitive yeah. to paedophilia or, or rape, this really isn't the film for you because... Yeah. And I don't think you'll yeah, see that written 
in many places. But no, not at all. But if this was made today, I think what would get a reaction is the very blasé attitude to Dr. Hobbs and his little paedophile ring. Paedophile sex ring that he's got in the yeah. in the apartment in his tower block with those young couples yeah. that are just, you know, swinging on by. And and even the, the fact that, you know, paedophile ring, to, ha- to have the... The girl as well. Ah, look, she's fully schoolgirl as well. Oh. Yeah, I th- <laughs> yeah, you're right. It, it could be telling of the time. It really could. I, I like to think the 1970s wasn't a time of free roaming paedophilia. But the fact that that really isn't what people were reacting to, and people reacted mm. very strongly to this film. I think it's... It, I'm not... Just to be clear, I'm not saying that um, everyone was A-OK with free-roaming paedophiles in the 70s, but what I am saying is that it's it's telling that that really doesn't come up much in discussions of Shivers. Yeah, it surprises me, because it, it had the same impact to me. Did you watch Mad Men? Not all of it. Okay, well, there's a bit in one of the early seasons where Don is at a party, not like a adult's party drinking, but there's loads of kids running around. The kid comes running through and he knocks glass over, and um, this... This guy basically grabs a kid and, and smacks him, and like we didn't. I was firstly shocked that he'd just smacked the kid, yeah. and then when Don kind of comes in and goes, "Is there a problem here?" and you realise, "Oh, hang on, he's not even smacked his own kid; he smacked someone else's kid." Mm. And there's no real shock amongst the characters there, and that's where it kind of dawned to mm. me, like, okay, of course, this is trying to show you uh, a, a period of time, and uh, I get that, but that definitely shocked me, and. Yeah, maybe this this is it as well. But definitely, I think if you if you're going back on this now, I don't think the intention was to show that attitude as a snapshot in time. Oh no, no, this this is it's not that it's intentionally showing this is a weird thing that's going on today. It's just a kind of well, this is yeah. what's happening in this, and what we can see from it is looking back at it and kind of having a twenty twenty head on when you look at it. That's the shocking thing. That is the... It has all the subtleties of the South Park episode where they have George Lucas doing a Stormtrooper. Yes. That's yes, where it was. Does. And unfortunately, yeah, I thought you could quite easily take out the pedo angle and it wouldn't yeah. take away from the film. No. I felt I was being shocked by the thing that the film wasn't trying to tell me about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that's been put in there to shock. It's just there. Yeah. Much like the walking scenes, they're not in there to shock me, but uh, but they are there. They are there. <laughs> they go on a lot. But hey, I've seen uh, I've seen Doctor St Luke go through a few doors. Oh yeah, that man can open a door. He can, he can, and he, he's got a, a reasonable little jog in his um, in his work oh, yeah. shoes. And the thing is, you know what? I actually think scenes like that they can be an art form. Like, if I look to like, you know how much I love a western. Oh yeah, and that giant sprawling shot of someone on a horse walking across the plain, or trotting, as the case may be, that is beautiful, and it is really a big part of those films. It can be done that way. Also, if it serves a purpose, then it can. Mm. But it did remind me a little bit of um, Werner Herzog's Nosferatu, where my favourite thing in the entire film is this shot of scenery, which doesn't really add anything it's just it's a beautiful shot well Van does have a good eye you know what I'm going to go on a proper ramble here right. like, you've made me think of this it's a proper ramble at least I want your take on it because um, Jaws I was um, doing some of my research for the Hellraiser deep dive which is not at time of recording no still the waiting website. for editor Nick to emerge from yeah. the exorcist dungeon he's been placed in. To... He, he, he was going to put his hot sauce all over my works, so to speak. I never want to hear that. I feel that's an appropriate again. analogy for this particular film. No, thank you. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> no, 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 please. No, no. Um, yeah, so anyway, I was doing my research on it, and um, Gary J. Tunnicliffe's guy did all the makeup from three onwards and directed the last two, and was talking about editing, and then was talking about how... Jaws is just an absolute masterpiece of editing. 
Yeah. It's just all of the cutting there. You you watch it, and when you're making films, you watch it in a different way, and you realise that the genius behind it is actually the person who edited it and cut it, not necessarily the original shots. I thought, I would have never noticed that about Jaws. Do you see that critical eye on things? Do you look at things having now done the film and go, oh, yeah, oh, wow, that's... Yeah, I can completely see how that's not been created the way it's perceived. So, I mean, in terms of editing, I, I think it's one of those things that you have to think about as if you're noticing it when you're just watching a film, it's probably because something's gone wrong with it. You know, a good editor should kind of be a seamless part of the film, but they hugely control, every, you know, the pace of a film. It's not down to the performances it's not down to the cinematography to a certain extent it will be but the it's the edit that controls it and that's what decides if you're feeling tense in this moment if you're feeling relaxed in this moment all of that kind of stuff and what jaws does brilliantly is it shoots around the fact that they do not have a workable bruce really yeah and that is the genius. That is what was one of the genius bits of Jaws. But it is a brilliant case of a filmmaker and you know everyone involved in that film problem-solving with one of the biggest problems you could have in a film that is about a giant shark. Is your giant shark not mm. working properly? So to pull it all back in from to this, do you then watch... This film, I'm thinking, oh, you could, the editor could have, you, you could have gone through cutting bits of this, or the, it's not a problem with the way it's been shot, or even the way it's gone, it's the way it's been cut together. I don't think it's fair to lay it all on the edit. I think it is part of it is how it's been shot. And I think with a filmmaker like David Cronenberg, I think his thumbprint is heavy on the edit. So, you know, it's that thing of Quentin Tarantino. The typical thing that's thrown against his films is that they're excessively long, they're bloated, they need to be trimmed down, and they aren't because of how much of a, I hate the phrase, but an auteur he is regarded as. Yeah. Cronenberg, that's what you're getting. You know, he, Even from the off on his I, first film, you think I he's think gone into that. It's not a case then on the first film of people being like, oh, Cronenberg must decide. It's more the fact that because it's his first film and because there won't be a huge amount of money behind it, he will have to drive everything forward. That's interesting. You know what? I think we're actually going to be in the complete reversal of where we normally are in this, this kind of thing. Because normally, if, if I could pinpoint like something I think that you will like or I will like and go, okay, this... This is where we've separated on it. Mm. If there is a really good idea, the execution leaves a lot to be desired. Normally, I'm all over it and go, yeah, that idea is so great. It's stuck in my head. I love this. And then you'll come in and go, Hellraiser Bloodline, piss off. <laughs> because the, the execution is so bad or the acting is atrocious yeah. or the cut is really bad. I almost feel like we're about to go the opposite way in this when we talk about probably how much we like are. it. I think part of it is that I think I've never watched this as anything other than, oh, this is Cronenberg's first go at this. Okay, that's interesting. So I've always watched it from a point of okay. view of not just watching the film. I've watched it as what's he done and why has he done it. So you basically brought this in for us to watch because you're like, I want you to see where he came from. Yeah. That is the answer to the why are we talking yeah. about this. Well, I was just going to say, like we talked about needing to do a really quality Wes Craven film, we also need to do a really quality David Cronenberg film at some point. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I feel we're doing him a disservice just by talking about Shivers, and especially yes. as I feel like I've shat on it quite a bit. But with the kudos bit, the, I do think that the, uh, the ideas in here yeah. are really good. The actual sex zombie things, I actually think it's actually quite... A, it's quite a smart little yeah. idea it's that idea. would be apt to be remade right now and could be remade in a very good way. I was thinking that while watching this. Yeah. Yeah. Some things lend itself, and this would be a classic, yeah, I'm doing the inverted commas thing, with, uh, that would lend itself to a remake. And Yeah, definitely. 
as long as they can keep and and not just for the obvious thing that um when you watch this I, you know what really shocked me the car safety i mean that was pretty poor wasn't it yeah, there's there's a bit where someone drives a car into the side of the other car and, you know, it barely crumpled. And it, it just hit me as that like, this is before crumple zones. Yeah. You know, the people in that car are probably really hurt from that. Uh, those old cars, you know what, car safety has come on a lot. Um, and I've always looked at some of those old cars and thought, oh, I don't really like cars. Cars just get me from A to B. Yeah. But some of the old cars, some of the styles, I actually look at the aesthetics and go, yeah, that's quite cool. But watching this, yeah, it left me shocked. Like, yeah, you can't trust the safety in those things. Historical document. It's Robert Zemeckis all over again. A- again, I don't think this is something that I should be taking <laughs> away from this film. That's not definitely not not something I should have seen no, as a positive. Not. So, what, what have I missed about this? Because you know, there's, there must be plenty of things that you wanted me to take away from this, or you wanted to discuss that I've just boiled down to. There are zombies that want to make love to each other. <laughs> no, I think. I think saying that kind of I brought this because I want to look at where David Cronenberg came from is is it, and I think you can see all of that stuff. And I keep mentioning things like philosophy of mind that go behind this, but I think you can see his interest in uh, kind of medical matters. You know, the discussion of the organ transplant being replaced by a parasite. That's yeah, really... which we've barely talked about, but actually, is a really interesting idea. It's that a, was one it's of an them. Interesting, it's the kind of thing that you know Michael Crichton would have written a very technical, slightly dull book about. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that kind of thing, and that's just a really throwaway thing. But you can see that interest that mm. you know when it comes to like the fly is so much more the the philosophy of mind and the the dualism idea. It's so much more there in, um, well, mm. it's there in The Fly, but also in Videodrome. And I just think it's so Not interesting, you know, seeing all of this stuff in its very early form, and he doesn't know what to do with it, but he mm. will, and he gets the chance to do that. And I think that's brilliant, and I think it's a very mm. interesting... Notice I'm using the word interesting a lot when I'm referring to... You are using it a lot, but I'd agree with it. Like, as much as I did struggle after watching it to think about what you wanted to talk about, Mm. like why you brought this in, it is an interesting thing to look back on, especially in the the kind of horror lovers. Yeah. Where did everything come from? Mm. And you can see how a lot of this was taken forward. We we actually haven't talked that much about the body horror side of things, and which... Presumably, that was the more shocking things where you've got like, um, as, as, uh, like when Janine and, um, and Bets are about to make love and the, the throats start like bulging in and out where the, the things are trying to get out. Yeah. Um, which again looks dated now, but yeah. presumably at the time that was a, the kind of thing where maybe, uh, it, the people doing the thing might have gone, oh, well. They can do that. This what is... can we do? Yeah. yeah, and I like how the thing actually did manage to get a spider and do it right. Yeah. Now again, I'm purely speculating. I've never read anything that said that the people doing the thing were like, yeah, that Canadian horror, we love that. But it's... I think it's that. It is definitely is a point of view. Yeah, 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 you can see it. So, so yeah, it has been interesting and there are good ideas. In it. And if it's... I did wonder whether you were bringing it to me as his first to offer commentary on how filmmaking has changed, a.k.a. you've kind of alluded to that he's done this and learnt on the job and he, that if you look at the greatness of what he's done later, you, you might only find seeds of it here. Yeah. And whether you're bringing that in the context of someone who's just doing his first film, mm. as like a, do you think you will get the opportunity to do that? Or is filmmaking now where if you have the opportunity to do one, you've got to land it with your first shot? Otherwise, you might be in a bit of trouble. You might get other opportunities, but you just don't know. And there is very much this pressure, and I'm sure this is a pressure that has been always when anyone's making their first film, that this is your chance. You don't know if you're going to get another chance to do it again, so you've got to get it right. And it's it means that you will really try and take your time and really consider, are we going to do some reshoots? Are we going to cut bits of it do we need to shoot additional material yeah. just 
you know, because you want to. Make Next sure. time you speak to Connor, don't shoot any additional material of running down corridors or opening doors. Right. We just need uh, just need Jared, Jared Rogers, <laughs> great actor, um, to just run in the circles uh, around yeah. a spiral staircase, just an hour or so. Slowed down. I also don't need the pair of you looking at each other and going, make love to me. Well, that's the final third of the film, right there. So, well. It's about 20 minutes of just that. <laughs> I shouldn't have gone on this tangent, really. No, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, okay, I wondered whether it was a bit like, you know, there's the, the consensus in, or at least the view that in like the music industry that you look at bands from around the 70s and that, and they might have two or three iffy albums yeah. before actually making something that was very good. Yeah, I think... Whereas now, if the first one isn't great, yeah, good luck. I think I wonder whether it's something like that. There is definitely uh, a bit of a... I think we write people off in terms of artists now much quicker than we did. Yeah. But I think this kind of leads into the whole critical view at the time of Shivers because he almost didn't get additional opportunities to make films because of the response to Shivers. So what was the negative response to Because you've already said it wasn't to do with the... It was... Um, uh, yeah. side of things. So this was... At, at the time, this was the most profitable Canadian feature film. And, and they were objecting to making a large sum on it? Well, it was... That it was a kind of shocking thing, that it was depraved, that it was just gore and flesh and, uh, you know, immoral stuff. Oh. This, you know, this got debated in Canadian Parliament. Uh, David Cronenberg got kicked out of where he was living by his landlord because of a morality clause in his contract because of this film. Huh. That's an interesting snapshot yeah. time. So he struggled to get... If only those people could see how they were going to... Uh, he was going to make a film where someone stuck their finger in Robert Pattinson's bum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> many, many years later. They'd go, yeah, this this wasn't too bad. Yeah. I mean, Videodrome, for example, it's a bit more extreme than Shivers. You know, there was this really... So it was a really popular film, but he struggled to get financing after it. Because, you know, there was this whole article that was written that was kind of, you should know how bad this, how awful this film is because your tax dollars paid for it. And that was a, it was a real issue. But then on the other hand, you have Roger uh, Ebert saying that what was great is that it had this unseen violence. You know, it's a lot of that stuff is played out off screen. It's not in your face. And, it's really not. You know, so there's kind of two sides to it. And honestly, I don't think this is gory or scary. No, no. The mm. fact that this got such a visceral response is really quite surprising, particularly when you consider what we've mm. talked about as being the thing that we found actually unsettling about this. Yeah, completely. Uh, and the irony for me is that, again, going back to Barbara Steele, you take her on Black Sunday... Even though it's an older film, I can go and watch that and actually still be really creeped out because of the performances and the story there. And like the first few minutes of that film are scarier than the whole thing here. Yeah. So it is a big surprise that that was taken as yeah, a, yeah. a morality issue. Wow. The times they have completely changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't have any feel for whether you're going to tell me you like this or not. Not oh. even the slightest. I think the only way to to reveal this is with the uh, the world famous the copied the world over template of marking a film out of ten from the Hermanos of Horror. That simple to follow formula. Is it a good film out of three? Did you enjoy it out of two? Would you recommend it out of two? And a fear factor out of three. You know, in forty five years, people will look back on this and they go, oh, so that's where we get the original rankings for horror from. That That's how we decide yeah. whether horror's good or not. We get it from this and that's where it came from. Well, it's a bit dated now, but yeah, I can see how that was a good idea. I see how the, the grain of the idea was there and they went on to yeah. greater, brilliant things. Yeah, like out of a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, are you going to go first this time? I think you should do because yeah, I've got yeah. no clue. And let's face it, I've not been I've not been saying particularly flattering things about this. So, gone. Good film out of three. I'm giving it a one point two five. I give it a two. Well, colour me surprised. Uh, you should do, but if you go back to the very first time that I did this for the start of season three. Mm. I was like, it's all about context. You have to have the context of the time. Yeah. The context of the time, if I take Jaws out, yeah, which is a very different kettle of fish, yes. <laughs> then it's actually the ideas. I can see how they've spawned so much more. The genre of body horror and all of the influence that's taken, I can see how, how it's come from that. And I think that is absolutely brilliantly done um so in the context of the day and age sure even when i said about that star trek one well this is before that mm. and yeah i can go back and find good examples of film before this i've come with black sunday but in the context of body horror and gore at this time yeah i think that stands up if you took this and compared it against another one now it it would do a disservice but i don't think it's fair to do that no, no. Mm. and that's that's for recommendation We'll get on to spoiler. <laughs> so, out of two, did you enjoy it? Uh, one out of two. Oh, okay. In the context of this, is an interesting snapshot of David Cronenberg as a filmmaker starting out, and for that reason, I feel I can give it a one. If I had come to this, and this is where context kind of comes into it, if I had come to this early on when I was getting into horror. I don't think I have the same enjoyment that I do from watching it because of when I came to it. Okay. We have reversed. I gave it a 0.5. <laughs> I feel I'm being generous there. I'm giving the 0.5 mainly for Barbara Steele. And She's great. Sometimes there were bits where the ideas, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's an interesting one where you talked about uh, earlier. The idea of this parasite living with us in this symbiotic relationship, I thought, yeah, okay, that's that's interesting. But there were so many bits that I just didn't enjoy. The yeah. long scenery bits, the, I didn't like the pedo angle. No, like don't blame you. At all. I mean, I could give a little bit for the use of the word, oh, make love to me, over and over again. <laughs> By the time that came around the last time, it started to get a little chuckle out of me. But I don't think it's fair to give an enjoyment mark for something that wasn't meant to make me laugh. No, no. And maybe if I'd been going to watch this at the time and I'd been really looking for something like horror to get into, I would have given this a high, a high mark. It's dated very badly. Yes. And that just sapped all my enjoyment from it, where it's of all the David Cronenberg films I've seen, it's the last one I'd go to. Like, I wouldn't watch this one again. Whereas definitely watch a lot of his others again. Your recommend is going to be really high, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, so what's your recommend? Well, my recommend is going to be much lower than yours. Mine is... Out of two. 1.75. 1. 1.75? 1. Whoa, I just, okay. I think it is so interesting to see this film... In, you know, in relation to what David Cronenberg went on to make, I think the fact that it got such a visceral reaction, I think, means it should be watched to kind of go, look, this is... People's response to films, from a kind of critical point of view, aren't always right. And anything that got debated in Parliament because of its, you know, morality just should be watched you've gone too <laughs> yeah, that's such... I haven't but you've made some good points there got me thinking oh yes yeah, yeah the whole debating in parliament yeah I'm going to up it yeah, I was yeah. going to give it a half but I'm actually going to give it a one and a half mark like not one and a half but one out of two because yeah I would like people to see where where the horror they come to love came from what was considered shocking what wasn't considered shocking but should be considered shocking mm -hmm. I would kind of almost recommend it from my own uh, I don't want to say perverse pleasure because in the context of this that's really bad but but from wanting to see 
how others now will perceive this. Yeah. Which gives us the last one, fear factor. So Out of three. Out of three, I've given it 0.25. Because well, well, while I, I, I think you just can't watch this and feel any kind of fear, it is... I'm giving that kind of 0.25 for the parasites, which I think actually are still... They, you know, they don't look terrible. They, there is a quality to that effect. But I don't feel worried or tense or anything like that when I'm watching this film, so there's no way I can give it anything higher. We're aligned on that one, I've given it 0.25, which makes me feel really bad that... Um given the uh, originator of a genre that I really like from a filmmaker that I really like a really bad score I, you already know what you've given it yeah? well you say that but I didn't actually count it so oh, yeah you know I've got a spreadsheet uh, and I'm sure these recordings pick up the clicking as I'm going through they do yeah. tallying up your score yeah okay fine yeah so you got uh, 4.25 yeah as your overall, and uh, I came out with 3.75 out of 10. I don't think either of those are unfair scores, um, and I think what we are both saying is that this there are interesting aspects to this film, but, you know, Cronenberg went on to make incredible films. This is not one of them. Would you, uh, as one last question on this, mm. if... And I know this is hard, but if, if you had come across this film right at the beginning of his career, do you think he would have looked at it and gone, he's going to go on to do incredible things? No, I don't think so. I I think that, in a way, is part of why this is so interesting, is that even though there are these grains of what he goes on to do, mm. I don't think you'd see it coming. You know, I don't think yeah. you'd watch this and then go, that guy is going to make something like The Fly or Videodrome or History of Violence. This mm. person made History of Violence. Yeah, you wouldn't have. Yeah, you're right. You're completely right. Yeah, yeah so that was actually a really interesting one in yeah. the end. And the most we ever used the word interesting. Oh, in definitely. Film. Yeah. Uh, homework time. Oh, homework time. It's, uh, it's... Um, I think I should go first, as yours has been like a two-weeker. Yeah. Um, and we could do with a break from using the word shocking, and I think you're probably going to use it on yours. Yeah, a little bit. So you gave me another short. You gave me Skin Tight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope I've watched the right one. I think you uh, have. On Alter. You can find an Alter um, film by... I'm going to get a name wrong... Ciara Boniface? Ciara Boniface? Yeah, I don't know how it's said, but that is definitely the right one. Boniface. Yeah, okay. Um, Congratulations, you've entered into our our roll call of people whose names we've mispronounced, which is always a sign of respect here. Yes. Yes, the homeworks show I shouldn't do too much spoiling for it. Mm. I'm intrigued as to why you gave this to me. Because I'm going to offer praise and condemnation for it in the same cool. at the same time. The pacing of this, I came away with thinking, if this was a full-length film, the ideas are really good, and that would have really worked, and I probably would have really enjoyed it. But in the context of the 15 minutes or so it's actually going, yeah. it jumps so quickly from piece to piece, but yet still finds time for a couple of those kind of swinging Michael Bay shots, oh, yeah. where the camera just slowly pans round. Oh, you haven't got time for this. Tell me more. That it, it lost its impact. So I've come away at one point going, oh, well, I didn't enjoy that particularly. But I also really want to see them do a full-length horror along these lines because it's clearly got loads to say and really interesting. And, that is, and to add to that, I, I had to go away, Art. Is this why you gave it to me? This is 100% why I gave it to you because apparently she is developing a feature of... Um, skin tight and I think right. that's a really exciting idea yeah yeah that definitely like there's so much more that, that can come from it and to be fair I should say despite all that I did watch it twice because the first time I watched it through there are a few things that um, don't actually know what that is they're referring to um, 
I didn't know what melanin was. And if you're going to listen to this and you're like, yeah, I want to watch that, look up what it is beforehand if you don't already know, which is probably my ignorance to do with how skin pigmentation is formed. But, hey, um, that's a Can't know everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, A full-length film would definitely live in the, the world that Get Out has created. Yeah. It has a lot to say um, in that sense. But, um, yeah, the the pacing of it and even... I, I hope as well that the dialogue is given the time to breathe as well in yeah. the full-length one as well. And I think that that kind of was the, the feeling that I got, that I think uh, there was a lot crammed in in terms of the dialogue to this short, mm. which I think in a feature you'll be able to spread that out more, give it more space, give it more room to breathe. And then I think we could be looking at a really, really, can I use the word again? Yeah. Interesting, <laughs> clever horror film. I think beyond that, it could be a really scary, intense horror mm. film that we could be talking about as like kind of get out kind of breakout success. We could be talking about that yeah. because I'm not saying it was bad like dialogue in that I was watching it going, no one talks like that. It was more no, things no. like when one character's on the phone to her mum, the mum's pace of ramping up from the, uh, hmm, this is familiar, hang on, lock the door, no, hang on, call the police. I thought, whoa, 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 whoa. Easy there. Yeah. How would but you, you jump you've got to that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. oh God, I'm going to do it again. It was really interesting, this. Yeah. I'm I'm, very, I'm glad you say it's going to be very excited for them to make uh, a feature film. I yeah, really would look forward to that. Well, we should move on to your homework. Something that I'm sure you would join me in hoping they never make a film, <laughs> film oh, out of. Dear God, no! Uh, Doki Doki, uh, which should also come with trigger warning. Yes, yes, it should. Um, so yeah, sorry, I cut I cut over you there explaining what it was. Please, that's fine. So you All gave me Doki Doki Literature Club, which is a uh, it's an indie game, um, which we've we've kind of looked at a few, you know, Hyper PT, um, No Players Online, um, the other one you gave me, and I can't remember the name of it now. Don't touch this. Don't touch this. I'm sure it's not called Don't Touch This, but that's stuck in my head. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, Don't Touch This would be much more in keeping with shivers. Um, um, so this is a visual novel game, and I'm only going to briefly explain little bits of it because I really don't want to give too much of this away um, but you play a, a male high school student who's invited by a childhood sweetheart to join the literature club at high school poems are written unsettlingly upbeat music soundtracks feelings are expressed and it all results in an upbeat discovery of suicide after which the game ends. Or does it? Yeah, that's a big old spoiler, isn't it? Yeah. <sighs> it's... But in fairness, like, it, it does come with a trigger warning right at the beginning. And yes. Yeah. I think you... Like, there are some games I thought that's not necessary, but this one, I do think if you do get upset by the, the themes that it talks about at the beginning, yeah. don't bother with it. It's... It's... um. It's such a layered, disturbing game, you know. It is. It requires a lot of time, and if you're me, you have to put in a bit of research to make sure that you can see all of the multiple endings, either by playing them or a few of them I had to to watch online. But it was a really sinister, intelligent creepy game um, which I'm very glad I've played and intend to never play again yeah yeah yeah. I, I figured you might have that response but do you have any reference points for it? Um, well I suppose the thing that we've talked about it having a similar response to is I recently read a book called Let's Go Play at the Adams um, which is by 
It is excusable you having to go to your bookshelf to get the book to look at the author's <laughs> name because that is the only book said author did. Yes, Mendel W. Johnson. And that obviously easy to remember name. Yeah, and it is, it is probably the most disturbing book I've read because you can see where things are going and it is a very dark place that they are heading to and you kind of feel like there's very little that you can do to stop it but you really want to mm. um, there's a powerlessness in it yeah and I, you know I came away from Let's Go Play at the Adams I think it is a brilliant book but I despised people in that book to the point that I felt physically angry at them and that is kind of what you can get with Doki Doki Literature Club that unsettling powerlessness it just there is a similar I feel jarringness yeah. between it like let's go play the Adams I'm trying to think how to do this spoiler free yeah we'll introduce you to characters and it is part of the nature of those characters which make their actions so shocking yeah and this is a similar way to this, because this is actually, in terms of when you were talking about this game, this is more of a dating simulator. Yes. I yeah. do not fault you for thinking that dating simulators might not be a thing, but it kind of kind of is. Yeah, it is, yeah. And it plays like that for a while, and you start to see a few little hints of the darkness that's going to go for it. But that, even the name and the music, the, the sheen to it, that, yeah. you know, uh, rainbows and bubblegum and candy floss nature it makes it that much more unsettling when you pull back the hood and you see the darkness that's going to come yeah. out from that yeah so they, they reminded me of each other so i thought oh well he's just talked about this book and i read it and got a similar reaction to you yeah well it's time for me to give you a game to see if you feel the same way about yeah, that. i absolutely do i i'm so glad i've i've played it but again, feels so unsettled. I probably won't read Let's Go Play at the Adams for at least a few decades. Mm. And I have a similar response to Doki Doki Literature Club. I will add a caveat on Doki Doki in that, like you, I had to play it a lot. Yes. And it is very unlikely you will get anything if you play it through. And you play it through only once, you're going to get a very nihilistic ending. That is probably, if you buy into it as a game, going to make you really despair about everything. And you actually have to keep on going back to it. But it is possible, unlike Let's Go Play the Adams, to get to a point where things aren't quite as bleak. Yes. Marginally. But you can get, and this is something the games offer, that the books or the film don't necessarily, you can get a good ending. Yeah, yeah. You can. And if you're going to play this, you need to put in the time to make sure you don't just play it to the apparent end. Yes. The apparent end, or I'd say even the first apparent end, if you can get to a point of satisfaction uh, emotionally by the time you've played it twice without working out what you need to do, yeah, by looking for help, you've done very well. Yeah, yeah. And you're a very good person too, if you have. I, I needed help. <laughs> Yeah, me too, Dave, me too. Have you got some homework for me next Oh, time? I have some homework for you indeed. I'm going to give you uh, a short story, which we've kind of mentioned a few weeks ago. Um, so this is by Joe Hill, Stephen King's son, and a uh, person behind Lock and Key, which I know you're a mm. fan of. Uh, this is Bobby Conroy Comes Back from the Dead. Is this the one you hinted at in the Savini special? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so many weeks ago, I imagine it's been generally like gone from the memory but okay looking forward to that um, I've got some reading for you as well I've gone like let's have a look at the online world and I'm setting you a horror via reddit okay called my wife and I brought a ranch right okay yeah, yeah. Well, well we'll, we'll see how you feel about it next time when we talk about another film that is Nick's choice Nick has given us The Gift Joel Edgerton's The Gift because there's more than one The Gift and the other's definitely not yeah. really something we would it's cool the uh, one with, with Michael from Arrested Development. Yeah, that shows a few tricks. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. we will be talking... Um, my wife and I brought a, bought a ranch. Yes. Bobby Conroy comes back from the dead. And yep. the gift, when we return... It is a gift. It is a gift. And all that really is left for me to, to give you as a 
as a parting gift. A gift to you. No, 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 stop this. You said, if I gave you something else, you would do that instead. Okay. You said that. You said that. And I think in uh, tribute to Shivers, you should just finish off by speaking directly to our one listener and quoting Barbara Steele. I don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) It's a much better sign-off than what you're thinking and what you do every week. Okay, what about... As a sign-off, okay, I will leave you with my favourite quote from the film. Mm-hmm. You got me. Oh, yeah. How about that pickle, then? Bye! <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I would have taken the pickle bit. Oh. Bye, my pickles. Make love to me. <laughs>